0: There are interesting people in disc golf, and there are boring people in disc golf. Here's one of each on the Fish Golf Broadcast. On this episode of the Fish Golf Broadcast, I got to sit down with Holland Hanley. Holland, hey, what are you thinking about?
1: Well, right now I'm thinking about breakfast burritos because we just did that little bit.
0: That's understandable. Yeah, I'm kind of hungry now. So you said 60 breakfast burritos. 60, roughly. That's a lot. Um, How much in units of your fridge and freezer space does that take up?
1: Let's see. If I've got a full 60, probably roughly half. Of the freezer? Of the freezer.
0: Okay. Okay. So, um, what are other freezer items that that's kind of squeezing out?
1: Other freezer items, I go a lot of frozen veggies. Because mm-hmm. it's surprisingly difficult to eat healthy on tour. So, if I've got just a bag of kind of mixed veggies, I can just kind of toss into something. Sure. Feels that's- like cheat codes. And then I've got some ice packs in there.
0: You know that frozen veggies are ice packs, right?
1: Yes. They kind of are. <laughs> I mean, anything frozen in a bag is an ice pack.
0: I th- wow. That's mind expanding. Um, I don't want to explore that to its logical, absurd conclusion of, like, blood banks are really just ice
1: packs. Yeah. Uh, Well, you just did, so. Shit. You just skipped to the end.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, How many other Hollands have you met?
1: Three. Really? Three, including myself. So, two other Hollands. Two others. Okay. They were both volleyball players.
0: Okay. Um, Is that a generational thing
1: yeah so i'm actually named after my great grandmother uh on my dad's dad's side okay so holland whitley who's from louisiana and moved to Nederland after she got knocked up at roughly 18 years old okay so yeah there you go and then the other two hollands they were both yeah both volleyball players um one All- of them we played against in college don't know what college she went to she just like was in they were like playing we were playing some like preseason exhibition and my coach said my name hoping to yell at me while she was down reffing and she just looked at me
0: and absolutely like if I hear Andrew in public I don't give it a second glance but if a Holland hears another Holland like yes that's that's whiplash neck turning right
1: yeah I mean we both kind of looked at each other like I'm, I'm making a, I'm making a quizzical face for yeah, pod- our audio listeners. This is great podcast content. Uh-huh. But we just kind of looked at each other for a second. And was like, wait, are you, are, you, are you, you know, the Spider Man meme? Yeah. Uh-huh. you're just kind of yeah for like a split second. And then later, we kind of like chatted for a second. And was like, huh.
0: And was it same spelling or you know, some variation? I two have L's no idea. I. I
1: have no idea how she spelled it. Okay, but it was the same pronunciation. <laughs> The other one that I've met, um, I actually do know how she spells it because she followed me on Instagram and I was able to to creep on her, but she was Mm -hmm. another volleyball player that we played a couple times. I played her in club, so I knew who she was when we got into college and played her once or twice. And yeah, it was just kind of like a, you know, kind of hand-wavy thing from across the room. Don't think I ever spoke to her, but it was like, yep, we have the same name. That's wild.
0: Yeah, uh, just kind of solemn nods all around. Um, Do you... Do you have to, like, preemptively strike when somebody tries to write your name down? You know, a barista, a, a hostess?
1: If I want it spelled correctly, I'll just spell it as uh-huh. soon as I say it. I would say at this point, I don't really care. Because, like, I'm, this is a one-time interaction. If you get it right, cool. If you don't, it makes a funny Instagram story.
0: Definitely. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you could, the compilation of yeah,
1: that. I Yeah, like, I like it when I get a new spelling of it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I always get, like, colin People think I just said Colin, mm-hmm. or they'll write Holland the country, but or sometimes I'll get Helen.
0: I and Holly has to be an a ludicrously frequent one, right?
1: Yes, it is. In fact, the guy who is doing the announcing at the open at Austin this weekend, um, he did it at the open at Belton last year and he accidentally got me and Holly's names kind of fused into one on accident.
0: Oh boy. Uh and I guess I guess that's a Ha Lee Finley and Ha Lin Han There's yeah, a lot going I on. I think
1: there. he said Ha Finley, and he immediately realized it, and he like DM'd me at the end of the tournament because I was on lead card for the final day. Oh. I was literally the last name that he had to say for FPO for the whole weekend, and he had said it right every other time, and just like something in his brain slipped, and he felt so bad.
0: So for the last year, he's been like looking at himself in the mirror like mm-hmm. the pep talk the mm-hmm. i'm gonna get it right this year
1: mm-hmm.
0: i hope he nails it
1: i hope so too i mean when i he he's been you know at hole one all week getting everybody's right. sponsors and making sure he gets everybody's things right and he's like he introduced himself as the guy who got my name wrong last year <sighs> oh no <laughs>
0: well like I, I know we're we're making light of this but like that is your identity it, it's oh, important yeah. to like have your name right
1: I, for sure for sure i don't think people do it on purpose Mm -hmm. it is a weird name (laughs) it's one of those things if I get mad every time someone gets my name wrong I'm gonna spend a lot of time being mad so uh
0: what do you prefer to spend your time being mad about
1: oh missed putts um appliances not working Mm -hmm. the internet not working yeah um I try not to be mad at traffic but it's been a little hard this week Austin traffic is particularly (laughs) horrifying
0: and fortunately you're you're you got your rig parked right now but when you've got 60 plus feet of truck plus trailer it's it's not a lot of
1: wiggle room on some roads it's not and generally we stay we stick to the interstate and you know the highways and i feel like in that situation people actually respect you a little more because they understand that you're massive and they're Mm -hmm. not going to win that collision but when it's just me in a normal car, that's when people are just like, oh, I'll just try to run you off the road. It's fine.
0: Yeah, sure. Can you give a an authoritative power ranking of truck stops and like how accessible they are for, for big trucks and trailers?
1: Yeah, most truck stops are fantastic. It's gas stations. Here's the thing. If you're going through a big city, you gas up before or you gas up after. <laughs> you do not gas up in the city because the city ones are like, two pumps tops and you're not fitting in there and they're right. too low. But let's see if I had to go probably flying J's like kind of my, my go-to, but it's more in the South and kind of Midwest. Yeah. Um, travel center, TA travel center is pretty good. Um, Cefco is that, that's like the C F C O. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but that's another pretty good one. Nice thing about some of the bigger ones too, is they've, they've got like food and sure. bathrooms and you can like flying J. You can do your laundry there. Big really? fan of that. And oh I, yeah,
0: I know there's like pay showers and stuff and something.
1: Yeah, that's not worth it. It's like fourteen dollars.
0: Fuck that.
1: Whereas I can get a Planet Fitness membership for twenty dollars, and me and I can bring a guest, so that's two of us, mm-hmm. and we have showers everywhere because there's Planet Fitness almost everywhere.
0: Uh, I want to put a pin in the Planet Fitness for a moment, but mm. um, do you are you a member of the cult of Bucky's?
1: Uh, I won't say I'm in the cult, but I do visit Bucky's generally once you know, on the way down for the Texas swing just because I am going to get some jerky and I'm going to get some fudge.
0: For the novelty, yeah.
1: Because it's delicious, objectively. Um, They also have nice bathrooms. Generally, though, if you're looking for, like, just a truck stop, don't go to Bucky's because the amount of time it takes you to walk from the parking lot (laughs) to the bathroom (laughs) is a whole ordeal. It's just not worth it. Uh, but if you're also trying to get some barbecue and some, some like really good snacks, that's a great, great spot. But I'm not stopping at every Bucky's.
0: No. Uh, even though they do tell you well ahead of time.
1: Yeah, they give you plenty of time to plan, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. I would prefer like billboards to tell me when it's like the last opportunity to gas up for a very oh, long yeah. stretch. Like if they could do that in Vermont... Yeah, that would improve things drastically.
0: And and the same in you know New Mexico, West Texas.
1: Yeah, you go for a long time without seeing a gas station, and you don't know it. <laughs> you're like, oh, I'm at half a tank. I can keep going, and then you're like, where's the gas station? Have, have
0: you found it out the hard way, or you know, like picking up your feet? Turning off the AC, all the all the little hacks that dad told you about?
1: I, I fortunately haven't had to do that. <laughs> um, I did have this this one time in college, though. I, my friend and I, we drove from Dallas down to Austin to yeah. play a spike ball tournament. Okay. And I drove on the way down, and then she drove on the way back. And I guess I didn't think to gas up before we left, and sure. she didn't really understand how my car's readouts work. And so my car is flashing, because uh, Prius is like a digital thing, and it's like a bar. It's not the normal dial. Okay, yeah. Uh, and she just she just wasn't used to it, and at some point we're driving back, and she's just like, what does the flashing E mean? I'm like, uh, that means we're about to run out of gas. But luckily we, we got somewhere. We also were traveling with another, like, car of people, mm-hmm. and so we were able to text him and be like, hey, you want to, like, slow down just in <laughs> case we get stranded here? But uh, luckily we we got down to like the dregs and we managed to pull it off. Yeah, that's key. It was fine. Um,
0: I was talking with a a college buddy that I played Ultimate with about how many of our stories end up in some way involving a mishap of driving or, you know, carpooling. Mm -hmm. Do you have any any horror stories from volleyball?
1: Oh, there was one time we left our athletic trainer. Go on. Uh, I want to say this was my freshman year. Um Yukari was her name, yeah, she didn't speak English too well. you
0: think it still is her name?
1: It probably is yeah, I don't know. I don't know what, what people do, but anyway she she didn't speak English super super great, and we had we have a rule on the team where if you're late, you're left, yeah, and that's it's a very effective rule, but I've never seen anyone actually be left but it, it's- um. Obviously, th- we don't threat. we don't mean that for the athletic trainer though. Mm. She's very important to the, the vitality of the team, to mm-hmm. the function of the team, and um, because she doesn't speak English very well, she's kind of quiet. Yeah, and okay. you know it's a it's a big bus full of twenty something, eighteen to twenty two year old girls. So it's if you're quiet, it's very easy for you to fall to the wayside. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of left her at the hotel one day everyone piled in and then we're like oh are we missing anybody and the captains you know count the team and yep. no one's counting the athletic trainer and we just left her oh that's so rough yep um
0: did that lead to everyone making the katherine o'hara oh my god we left kevin face
1: no but we did feel eh, pretty much yeah yeah i'll say yeah okay we, we felt pretty horrible because she's very sweet yeah for sure pretty like nice person
0: when did you find out like when you got to the arena
1: uh, no, we found out like pretty quickly. I think it was within a few minutes. Okay. So we were able to circle back and, and pick her up, and she was like sprinting out of the hotel oh, lobby. She's like, oh, wait. And she's carrying the big duffel bag with yeah. all of her equipment in it. She's tiny. She's a tiny person. <laughs> Yukari's a tiny person. Yeah, that felt pretty bad. It's like you don't want to leave the athletic trainer. Like We would realize pretty quickly because we're like, okay, we all need our ankles taped. We yep. all need such and such prepped, and then, oh, there's no one here to do it.
0: Yikes. Um so you're coming from a, an athletic background of volleyball as well as uh weightlifting, right? Uh powerlifting. Powerlifting, yes. lifting, yeah. Yes. Um can you give any advice to disc golfers who are getting into weight training as well as some courtesy advice to all of your fellow Planet Fitness goers?
1: Yeah, I mean if you're just getting into weight training, honestly there's so many good just basic generic strength training programs out there available for free. Get a good one. Learn how to do all the movements, and and really you're just trying to work both sides of of your your most important joints in our sport. So you know your ankles, your knees, your elbows, your shoulders, Mm -hmm. your hips. So hitting you know hitting both sides of those like for your knees would be hitting flexion and extension and all that stuff. And you can Google what those terms mean if you've never heard them. But really that's what it is is just strengthening both sides of the joints. That's what's going to keep you from getting uh, injured. And As far as etiquette goes, I mean, it's pretty simple. Be a decent person, okay? You know, if uh, if a person's using equipment, don't take it from them. Don't stare too long. Um, don't hog equipment that you're not actually using. Let's see what else. You don't need to scream when you're lifting. Um, Unless it's like something stupid, deadlifting like six hundred pounds, then you can scream a little bit. But
0: once you've gotten to that point, you earn yeah. the privilege. Yeah, right?
1: you've earned the privilege, and you know you'll find like those. Yeah, the, yeah. It's just a.
0: It it. Not to paint with too broad a brush, but it seems like the people who are going to Planet Fitness, um, if they're capable of lifting six hundred pounds they they're, probably found a proper gym right
1: yeah they're not they're not going to planet fitness planet fitness doesn't want those people there they've made it very clear with <laughs> <in> their marketing. <laughs> it, it blows my mind because they're they have all these signs up at every planet fitness that's like this is a judgment-free zone unless you're ricky the bobby bodybuilder and you're wearing stringers and you're grunting it's like then we're very judgmental of you as though the existence of, of a, a seasoned lifter is somehow threatening to a new lifter, which I, I get if you're new, it can be a little uncomfortable, but you'll find out pretty quickly if you go that no one's looking at you.
0: Yeah, like, my experience has always been that everyone's on their own journey. Mm-hmm. They appreciate you if you're if you're there, showing up, trying. mm
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. You don't need to be threatened by people uh, for existing, but... <laughs> You know, whatever. I'll just uh, try not to be, try not to breathe too loudly if I'm bench pressing, or something. All
0: right, good advice. Yeah. I'm Noah Mindspa, and I listen to the Fish Golf broadcast while I think about things to chirp the boys. I'm Robert Burridge, and I listen to the Fish Golf broadcast while I drive until tomorrow. If you like where this show is headed, stick around for part two. We'll never barrage you with 11 minutes of droning external ads to start the show, so please support the Fish Golf broadcast by visiting discgolfbra.com for hats and other apparel. Fish stamp discs are available at fishdiscgolf.com and daddydiscgolf.com, and you can save 10% on upperparkdiscgolf.com with the code ANDREW10 on backpacks and other items. And now, more lies and outrageous claims from our guest met with calm reason by Fish. So, Holland, I made a big life choice last year to quit my engineering job and uh, start playing disc golf full-time. Am I crazy?
1: Yeah, you're crazy. Damn it. But, you know, so am I, because I also made the decision in the last year to quit my engineering job and throw Frisbees for a living.
0: Uh, So what were you doing previously?
1: Yeah, so I was a process engineer for a medical device company. Uh, Specifically, my team was in charge of manufacturing rubber components. Mm -hmm. And so my job involved everything from, like, dealing with day-to-day problems I would come up, kind of root cause analysis kind of stuff, to finding better ways to manufacture our product to save you know cycle time save money uh bring in new the latest technology and all that stuff and make sure that our product quality is is up to our fda standards
0: and what you're doing now is wildly different
1: wildly different <laughs> wildly different um
0: and, and we've talked a little bit about uh not on this particular podcast, we've talked a little bit about like being able to schedule yourself, uh, Mm -hmm. to avoid burnout. And, um, do you, do you feel like having a 40 hour a week job kind of prepared you for the, just like the day to day grind of disc golfing or is it entirely different?
1: I feel like it's entirely different because when you're really, when you really love what you're doing, it doesn't feel like work as much. Yeah. Um, so there's that aspect of it. Um, There's also, you know, when I was working the eight to five, it's like, I had a, did a very good job of shutting my brain off at five o'clock because I didn't (laughs) want to think about work anymore. Right. Like I'm not getting paid to think about, you know, continue to think through this problem at work. I'll pick it up at eight Mm o'clock. But you know, when I love disc golf, it's hard to turn my brain off of disc golf. Uh, in fact, I would, I would say it's a little bit of a problem. I need to find a new hobby.
0: Total fixation.
1: Yes. You know, I'm, when I'm not, on the course when I'm not practicing, it'd be nice if I could kind of stop thinking about the tournament, because I think what happens is I build it up in my head a little bit, and uh, that first round usually doesn't go super great.
0: <laughs> so you've identified that trend. Uh, are, are there any other strategies that, like, do you feel like you're still in the data collection phase of, is this a real thing, or did it just happen a couple times? Um, and then how, how do you go about troubleshooting that to solve the problem?
1: Yeah. So I do, there is a a pretty clear trend. I think I saw it a lot last year and then I've certainly seen it in the last, the first two tournaments of this year Yeah, and I can kind of identify some causes. Um, I think the one is, uh, just based on like how I feel on that first round. I feel like there's a lot of, uh, kind of pressure to do as well as I did in practice. Um, I I start to put this extra pressure on myself. And then in these later rounds, I've played so poorly in the first round, I feel like I'm out of it. And so I'll kind of relax and then I end up playing really well the final round.
0: Yeah, it's it's really hard to find that that perfect balance of Mm -hmm. like, don't care, going to play great. Mm -hmm. And like, still care, got to play great.
1: Right. Yeah, it's almost like I need to find a place where it's not that I don't care, but I'm not worried. Huh. You know? And um, I find, too, in the week leading up to it, I do I do a really good job of preparing. I feel like I know what my shots need to be. Yeah, I feel well rested. I feel like I structure, you know, my workouts and my training throughout the week and my rest so that on Friday, my body feels fantastic. And mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, I'm ready to tackle the course. But I think I spend too much time thinking about my game plan outside of actually practicing. And I think, like, a little visualization is good, but I don't think... Uh, my brain's getting enough of a break from thinking about disc golf. Yeah. And so I think a potential solution would be picking up some other hobby or something else that's just going to take my brain off of disc golf. I don't think watching TV or or even listening to podcasts is really enough because my brain will kind of wander. Right. So I'm considering uh, starting a a video game or something a little bit more uh, engaging.
0: Okay. Can I give you some other suggestions? Yes. Just just give me a gut reaction for each of these. All right. Macrame.
1: what is macrame?
0: It's it's like beadwork.
1: Oh, um sounds messy and space consuming.
0: Okay. Uh knitting.
1: Similar space problem.
0: I won't even say puzzles then. Uh let's see. Uh concrete glazing. We're going to we're going to put another trailer behind I your trailer. I think we have a winner. Yeah. I think
1: I'm going to take up... I don't think I need to even put it uh, on the trailer. I think I just go to a construction site yep. and start pouring concrete. Hell yeah. I don't ask or anything. I just be like, this this the concrete? All right. And just start putting it places. I mean, that would be a
0: real throwback job slash hobby. You know, mm-hmm. the Rico brothers were doing concrete still in addition to playing and running Legacy, right?
1: Or really, maybe what I need to do, you know... Being an engineer used to be my job when disc golf was my hobby. Yeah. Now that disc golf's my job, maybe I just need to show up at a rubber factory and uh-huh. just start making stuff.
0: I mean, yeah, why not? Yeah. Um, I hear they
1: smell great. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't. They smell horrible.
0: <laughs> um, what What do you think you would want to make out of rubber that would improve the lives of disc golfers? Like, could you could you make better, uh, better rubber washers or something for carts so that they don't squeak?
1: Oh, that's a great idea. I know. Yeah.
0: Carts are, carts are real squeaky if when they're not perfectly tuned. If it's tuned.
1: rubber and washer shaped, is it technically an O ring?
0: That's. Um, I'm not gonna dabble in these semantics. That's, I gotta, think gotta that's go to
1: McMaster Car and find out. <laughs> 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 rubber washer. That's an O ring, dummy.
0: Well, this makes me feel great. Um, so m- moving on, you have a very ancient cat, right?
1: Yes, I do. Actually, I think I think Tyler just took him outside. He's getting some outside time.
0: Um, and this is a fearless cat, right?
1: Absolutely fearless.
0: Uh, does that make an ideal situation for a touring cat?
1: He actually does fantastic on tour. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that makes me nervous is like he doesn't have enough fear. To like be careful When he goes outside Like I don't think he understands That if a large animal is coming Towards him he needs to run Mm -hmm. Because no it's been a very long Time since a large animal has been threatening To him
0: yeah the Two most prominent large animals Are very cuddly Toward Mm -hmm.
1: him Mm -hmm. yeah I mean Literally no human has ever heard He's even to the point where you can Act like you're gonna sit on him and he won't Move (laughs) because he knows you're not going to sit on him he calls your bluff so he just thinks everyone's bluffing all huh. the time and so he's just not scared do you,
0: we could all take a lesson from that hmm i don't know what lesson but we could
1: i think it's it, it's a confidence thing if you act like you belong then people just think you belong
0: so in that on, on that note you've spent a lot of time and effort kind of working on uh teaching the mechanical side of the game as you discover it for yourself Mm -hmm. um but that doesn't necessarily make you an expert you haven't solved it perfectly Mm -hmm. um what can you talk about that journey a little bit
1: yeah i think i'm in an interesting position because here i am playing at a professional level yeah um but i'm not so far removed from what it's like to be a a beginner Mm -hmm. you know three years ago i'd picked up a disc for the first time
0: oh how did you start disc golf no 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 no
1: it's no. <laughs> a great question no right. <laughs> no nah, nah, we won't get into that you can listen to any dozen other podcasts i've been on to get that answer anyway but to getting back to the the mechanical side of things that was just how i learned it was how can i break this down from what i'm watching and then come up with drills to try and teach myself and so i remember a lot of that stuff and i'll kind of share it that's kind of what those Pro Tip Tuesdays have started as, was just, well, what did I do to fix this problem? And it might not be the best way to do it, but it's a way that works. And I really try to present them as, this is a method that you could use that might be helpful for certain people. Um, I do actually think the being a process engineer, in a way, made it easier to kind of break down those complicated things. Um,
0: is, is that because you're... You're finding, like, the key steps?
1: I I don't know that it's I'm discovering anything particularly groundbreaking Mm -hmm. with the way you throw a disc. Because, I mean, really, I'm just taking information from others. I think (laughs) where I do a good job is I'm able to take something that's kind of complicated and then break it down and explain it in a way that's not complicated.
0: Do you feel that that puts any pressure on you to, like, perform or to follow that? Or has there has there been an example of you said something publicly in a pro tip tuesday and then realize oh man maybe i missed that
1: a little bit but you know i i reserve the right to change my mind when i get new information oh good you're an engineer hey there you go yeah i mean the way i think of it and the way you know, I think some of the other, uh, I won't necessarily call them mentors, but other coaches that I've looked at, they think of it that way too, is we're all kind of collectively trying to figure out what's the best way to do this. Yeah. And you know, just and there, there there've been times like with my grip recently, I made a grip change and one of my first pro tips was talking about my grip. Mm -hmm. Um, and I made a slight tweak to it where the, the principles that I had said previously are the same, but the way that I'm applying it is just updated now. And so that's kind of, Oh, you know, I, will change my mind when I've got new information and I'll update my position on things when I've got new information and it doesn't bother me one lick if I was wrong in the past. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you know, I'm not, ju- I'm not doing this because I want clout. I'm doing it because I want to be able to help people. And also I want to be able to learn.
0: So like clearly you're contributing to a broader discourse about mechanics how do we get to a point where there's like a standardized coaching method or a generally, or, or is it just like, these things are true, apply them to your body type, your needs, et cetera?
1: Yeah. So in the world of, of powerlifting, you can kind of break down the lifts into to principles, Yeah. right? So, you know, there's principles of good squat mechanics, bench mechanics, deadlift mechanics, but because, and then there's kind of an understanding that That's where you start. There's these principles that kind of have to be followed always, but depending on your size, your leverages, your strengths, your weaknesses, it might look a little different. Okay. And I think there's that in disc golf as well. And so part of the discourse is figuring out, okay, well, you know, does this thing with your arm happen because you're making it happen and it needs to happen, or is it just kind of a result of something else that you're doing and that's the thing you need to be focusing on? So I think there's that element of it too, of finding causes and effects. So is this weird, you know, foot thing that's happening, is that something you need to actively do or is that something that happens because you're doing something else?
0: Cool. So how do, how do you go about discovering that kinetic chain for yourself to determine whether something is uh, its own thing or the effect of another
1: yeah, it, it's really trial and error, and honestly, I'll ask other people. I mean, I've got a good relationship with Josh over at Overthrow, sure, um, which, you know, he and I chatted a bunch this offseason, just looking at my own form. Um, you know, Brian Earhart's another really good guy who's kind of minded or thinks this way as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's you know, it's consulting others and then it's trying stuff out and, you know, not being afraid to spend several weeks on something and maybe it doesn't work out.
0: Sure. And do, do you feel like other sports gave you a good understanding of your own body's, like, kinetic chains?
1: Yeah, there's definitely some motor patterns that have come over from other sports. Um, like I know, like with my sidearm specifically, it looks a lot like my volleyball swing. It doesn't quite look... Exactly like maybe how someone else throws a sidearm because I definitely get my elbow behind my body and then push it back out forward in front of the disc, which most people you would coach just leave the disc behind your elbow the entire time. Sure. But because I'm able to create a nice snappy wrist uh, motion when I do that full motor pattern, it just seems to work for me. But if you actually look at my form in slow motion, all of the main principles are there. Like the retract shoulder, yes, retract wrist shoulder, loaded. loaded, loaded wrist, elbow forward, hard snap at the wrist when you release, clean release point. I'm hitting all that stuff, I'm not rolling my wrist over, mm-hmm. I'm hitting all of those things, but I have my own kind of weird spin on it just because of the motor patterns that are left over from playing another sport.
0: How was that a natural adaptation for you, or did you? Like, was there a light bulb thing of, oh, I can just make a volleyball serve out of this?
1: Yeah, I spent, so the way I built my sidearm is I started kind of from the release and worked backwards. Yeah. And so I found out that I could get a really consistent clean release with any disc in my bag if I just used my wrist. Okay. And I would use that as a scramble shot. And so that was kind of the first usable sidearm that I had. And so I just drilled that and drilled that and drilled that. And then I would kind of add a little bit of a reach back and then I would have that, and I would get a little extra distance, mm-hmm. but I would only reach back so far as I could maintain that clean release. And what happened is gradually over the year that followed, over all of last year, that comfortable reach back position got further and further back.
0: This sounds a lot like the progression of like good lifting, where you learn, where you learn the form mm-hmm. and the balance points mm-hmm. before you try to just max, 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 max.
1: Yeah, exactly, because when you try to throw hard, when you're thinking throw it as hard as you can, you're gonna end up going back to what you were doing before that didn't work. uh-huh Whereas if you're like, okay, let's do let's do as little or as much as possible that's like maintaining these good principles, right? We want to no wobble on the disc, basically. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of figured out that when I really tried to force my hand to be back at the backswing, mm-hmm. it felt awkward. But if I just was like, okay, let's just try to be smooth What happened was when I would pull the disc back, my elbow would kind of just, right before I popped through, my elbow wanted to just come up and then pop back through. But it was clean. And I was like, well, this feels comfortable and the shot's good and nothing (laughs) hurts. So, and then I, you know, checked. I put a slow-mo cam out to the side and was like, well, we're going to check and make sure that this is still following all of the, the rules that my previous progressions have followed. You know, am I getting my... Shoulder back, elbow forward, wrist back, when I kind of come through that that power pocket, am I getting the right hit? And I am. And then I find I'm able, because it's more fluid and it's more free and less thinking, I'm able to change the hit point for the stability of the disc. I'm able to manipulate the angles a little bit easier. And then I didn't really realize it at the time that it was a volleyball swing <laughs> until later, actually, uh, I was like, tossing a putter back to ella because we were like doing a putting game or something yeah. she was like you have the floppiest elbow when you throw a sidearm and i was like yeah i know but it works and then i thought about it a little more and i was like yeah it's because it's a volleyball swing and a volleyball swing you pull your elbow back and you have your hand up right by your ear and then you push your elbow forward and then you snap your wrist and then that's exactly what my sidearm looks like <laughs> interesting
0: um are th- do you know if there are other volleyball players on tour? I know Hokum had played for a long time.
1: Yeah, Hokum played. Um, I think she played all the way through college. I know Missy played. I think in high school. Okay. And then I know Katrina played, but judging by her height, I'm assuming she wasn't a hitter.
0: Okay. And Raven Klein. And played Raven Klein
1: too. played. She was a setter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, is could we group those players together to see if their sidearms? match a volleyball swing pattern or is, or is this kind of unique to you
1: I think this might be unique to me because having I mean Hokum no one has form like Hoka no no she is a very unique form and then um, I don't I, Missy Siderm's not the best I'll just you know Ooh, I'll just say it I've told her <laughs> um, yeah so I don't I don't know I don't think she tries to throw full power like I think she's still working on that you know Right, it's more of a touch or a slower, slowed down sidearm because she's still kind of learning it. Sure. Um, and then Katrina, I don't see her throw a ton of full power sidearms either. So I'm not really sure. She throws more like standstill kind yeah. of approach shots, but I don't think I've ever actually seen her do like a full walk up.
0: Right. She's doing it for the shape, not for the, not for the power. Right.
1: Right. I think she prefers if she's going to throw a distance line, she's going to go backhand.
0: Right. For sure. Well, thank you so much. This has been fascinating. Uh, If you have very positive things to say about the show, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at fish58320. And if you hated the show and want to complain, where can folks find you?
1: (laughs) I love that. Uh, You can find me at Halls underscore 17 on Instagram.
0: Anywhere else? Any? uh,
1: At the moment, no. Instagram's all I can manage at the moment, so.
0: That's fair. Holland, thank you so much for joining me. Of course. Thanks for having me. That's all for this episode of the Fish Golf Broadcast, but be sure to check out previous episodes and subscribe wherever fine podcasts are sold. Check out Fish Golf Broadcast hats and other apparel at discgolfbra.com and badger your friends until they listen too. Join us next time as I goad yet another guest into starting a fight with another touring player, campsite host, or toll booth attendant on the Fish Golf Broadcast.